Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. Being an entrepreneur can feel desperately lonely, especially in the early days when budgets are tight, days are long, and challenges crop up constantly. But as romantic as the idea of buckling down and becoming quote-unquote self-made may be, very few founders actually succeed long-term by stubbornly going it alone. Rather, a checked ego and humble willingness to learn from and partner with others while still holding true to core values is the secret to successfully navigating those first few fraught years of building a business, according to Jeff Martin, the co-founder of the heirloom corn-based snack company Pip Snacks, which over the past 10 years has not only survived but thrived to become a cult favorite with high-profile fans, including Oprah Winfrey and Shark Tank investor Barbara Corcoran. Of course, not everyone who offers entrepreneurs a helping hand does so in earnest or has all the answers. And as more players join a team, the risk of losing oneself or the North Star of the company becomes an increasingly real threat. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Martin shares strategies for picking partners, building trust, and staying true to Pip Snack's founding mission while simultaneously navigating unexpected and unprecedented macro trends that are reshaping consumer expectations and the business landscape at a speed not previously experienced by this generation. When Martin launched Pip Snacks along with his sister Jen and wife Teresa 10 years ago, it was out of an abundant passion for heirloom popcorn kernels carefully preserved and grown by an Indiana farmer and the idea that better ingredients are better for people, the planet, and the food system. We wanted to do was take some of our childhood favorites that we either weren't allowed to eat because they weren't healthy or we could have once a year. And at my house, it was always Super Bowl Sunday. Our parents would let us eat whatever we want one day a year. And we would get all the Cheetos and the cheese balls and stuff, and that was it. So we loved those snacks, but they weren't being done right. They were full of artificial ingredients and artificial colors and flavors and uh, you know, just really kind of garbage, you know, kind of it's just, just stuff that I wasn't proud of eating. And as I got older and I really started learning about nutrition, I, I wouldn't really want to eat all, a lot of that stuff regularly, but I still craved it. You know, I still wanted to have a, a you know, something that kind of scratched that itch. So we really wanted to take some of our childhood favorites, recreate them with real ingredients. Heirloom corn is the base of all of our, our, our snacks. So this corn's open pollinated. It's really sustainable to grow. Um, it's also like an ancient grain. So what that means is it has never been uh, never been modified in the lab, never been modified out in the fields, never been hybridized. So almost all crops we eat are hybrids, and they're hybridized to accomplish a goal. Usually it's yield, aesthetics. You want pretty-looking vegetables on the shelf. You want a lot of them, and you want them cheap. Ours is the opposite. So our stuff is uh, you know all, all evolved over time, so really resilient crop. Um, and it's, it's natural. So the downside of hybridizing or modifying is you lose something. You can't have all these things adding in without losing something. And the first thing to go is flavor. With pit porn, we've never done any of that. And the people who have preserved our seeds throughout generations have never done any of that. So we kept that flavor for 100, 200 years 
every growing year, you pick the best seeds, you save them, you plant them the next year. So what you get is a really quick natural evolution to have the best flavor, the best quality, the easiest to grow, and you weed out the bad plants. So that's the that's what we're doing. The base of all of our stuff is that amazing heirloom corn. Then we add stuff like organic cheese, you know, or we you know truffle parmesan cheese, uh, and really make it like a craveable snack. But the, the really that heirloom corn does a lot of the heavy lifting for us. According to Martin, cultivating heirlooms and creating consumer demand for them also could help reinforce the food system, which, as illustrated by the pandemic, is far more fragile than many people believed just a few years ago. I mean, biodiversity is so important because we can't control everything, right? Like, if, if a disease comes and sweeps through general, like, the couple strains of corn that are grown at scale, we're in trouble. Or if, if a disease comes through and, and, and impacts, fill in the blank, whatever crop it is, we're in trouble because there really isn't a lot of biodiversity on a large scale. Um, we think that it's really important to contribute to biodiversity for reasons like that. We need to strengthen our, 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 our food chain, our, our food supply chain. There's no reason why we are, as, as, a, as a race, are only consuming or using a handful of varieties of corn, you know? I think the last two years has been a good example of something that we can't control that has impacted us in a major way. Um, the same thing could happen to our food chain. There's no reason, like, it, the same thing could happen, and then what are we left with? You know, it's like, because of what we did to slim down the number of varieties that are grown, because it's easy, and you can commercialize better and faster and make more money. We've never approached this from the standpoint of how to make it most profitable. We've always approached it from how do we celebrate something special. And I think from a commercial perspective, working with heirlooms, the biggest challenge was how do we increase biodiversity? How do we educate on heirloom, but not totally destroy something that's been preserved for so long? That was our big challenge, because we wanted to celebrate this grain, but we didn't want to destroy the heritage of it. We wanted to celebrate it and treat it treat it right. Um, so I think high-level, celebrating biodiversity and contributing to biodiversity is going to be more and more important as we go. You know, having multiple varieties of things that are, are, are resilient. And it's not just because of disease. It's also like our corn, in, in, in years of drought, our corn still grows. In years of flooding, our corn still grows. We, we need less water, way less water per, you know, acre or whatever, you know, whatever measure because it's a super resilient crop. So I think biodiversity is great, but I think increasing biodiversity with heirlooms is even more amazing because it's just going to make our food chain way more resilient. The weight of such an ambitious and important mission combined with such deep passion easily could have led to burnout if the team hadn't had each other to lean on or trusted partners to help them build a reliable supply chain, promote their brand, and fund their production. We started this business not to grow it quickly and sell it, right? We were bootstrapped for seven years. We were manufacturing ourselves for six years. We did it because we loved it. And I, I think we were, when we started in 2012, the industry was different. There weren't that many people doing this kind of thing. And, and I think it's an amazing thing 10 years later. But I don't know, the secret, I would say, like, we just kind of, I think there was a certain amount of resilience that we, like, we could laugh off the bad days. And I always tell people, like, we shoot to be down the middle. Like, we don't let the highs get us too high or the lows get us too low. Being an entrepreneur is, is a wild ride. Launching a product, manufacturing your product, every day is different. And we always try to find the humor in it. We're family, so we had each other to support. On bad days, we would lift each other up. On good days, we could celebrate together. And it kept us going, honestly, every day. So 
Secret Sauce may be partners, having partners that you can rely on and lean on, um, and then kind of like focusing on the product and making it taste really good. Then people will want to support you, and then you have your own support system internally. This strong internal foundation helped Pip Snacks overcome two tremendous but also common challenges building their business. One, establishing a reliable food chain, and two, finding supportive investors. Growing our supply chain was really hard. Um, and not honestly, one of the easier parts of it was like growing this heirloom corn supply chain because we have a phenomenal partner that grows our corn for us, and without them, we wouldn't be here anymore. But growing everything else, we were self, we were a bootstrapped, self-manufactured popcorn company, and then with the amazing support of Whole Foods, we turned into a family of snacks, and we had to. You know, on paper, it was like, this makes a lot of sense. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to stretch our brains and use corn in different ways. But then in practice, we had to go execute on it. And finding manufacturing partners that we could trust, that we loved, that loved us, that we could, you know, and, and we could really connect and have, like, rely on each other, that was really hard. And we had a number of co-packers for different products in different geographical locations. That was hard. And then trucking air across the country, all like, that was hard. And then trying to do all that sustainably is something we're still, like, we're far from perfect, but we're trying, we have these lofty sustainability goals, and, you know, that's hard. So I think growing the supply chain in, like, a very responsible way that we're proud of, that nobody will ever see, right? Like, no one knows how it gets from A to B, but, like, that, to me, was one that has been very, very challenging. I know we're not alone. The last two years have been unique because everything has been really, really difficult. Keeping people safe while doing all of those challenging things is a real challenge. Um, but yeah, I think growing supply chain was really hard. And then, um, you know, I think fundraising is one that was hard too, before we have our current partner, it's, it's, it's a grind. And then you're running the business and like you're, you're working multiple full-time jobs to try to keep your dream alive. Luckily we have a phenomenal capital partner that really helps us in the good times and the bad times, um, which, uh, has, has been incredibly valuable for us in so many ways, but that was, I mean, that's. Fundraising is hard. Like, you walk into a room and everyone tells you why everything you're doing is a bad idea, and then you have to go do it again the next day until you find the right one. It would be several years after launching before Pip Snacks found an investor that the team trusted and who shared their values. But when they did, they did it big by pitching on ABC's Shark Tank and making a deal with Barbara Corcoran. The first time we talked to the Shark Tank people, the casting director, Mindy, she made us feel like, yeah, we can do this, and we're going to be successful. And then we would meet some producers, and they were like, yeah, we can do this. We're going to be really successful. And then we would meet the executive producers, and we were like, yeah, they're really supportive. We can do this. They made us feel like we could do it, and they were there to support us emotionally. And, and then, like, here's the opportunity. Now go and do it. And that's aside from, like, Barbara being the most amazing support system we could have in her team. Um, but yeah, I think it, it felt right because of the people that were involved and how successful they wanted us to be. And they were so happy to be part of our story. Like it was such a special thing. Um, and I could say the same about like our relationship with Whole Foods early on Whole Foods. And I've told this story before, um, the Columbus circle location of Whole Foods legitimately almost put us out of business in 2013 or 2014 because it was doing so like they an amazing team, right? Same feeling. Go into a room and like this feels so right. You're so supportive. Like whether we're talking to John Lawson, who was the buyer at the time, or Ellie Truesdell, who was a local forager, or John Still, the buyer in the Northeast. They all just made us feel like we could do it, so we did it. Um, and then they gave us a lot of a lot of great shelf space, and it sold really well. And we had couldn't make it fast enough because again, we were self-produced. 
but they supported us, you know, and they made us feel like we could do it, and we did it. Even before Whole Foods and Corcoran, Pip Snacks had earned the hearts of fans nationwide, thanks in part to support from one super fan, Oprah Winfrey, who included the company's Pipcorn on her annual list of favorite things not once, but three times. And each time, Martin said, Oprah's team offered more than her endorsement. They also helped the company prepare for the influx of orders and make the most of the exposure. Each of these opportunities would make any entrepreneur's dreams come true. But Martin said what kept them from turning into nightmares was knowing that each partner shared Pip's next core values and wanted to see the company succeed just as much as the founding team did. So I always go back to the sense of, or the idea of having community. And everyone thinks about that differently. But we've always thought about it in terms of like the expanded broad community, which involves like anybody who's touched the product. Like we're here because we've been supported in so many ways by our friends, by our family, by the Oprah team, the Shark Tank team, the Whole Foods team. And I could name a million retailers that are doing the same thing for us now. So I think these opportunities, the big ones, are shiny objects. And it's easy to get distracted. But the ones that like, the ones that want to support you, the, the same amount, like they want to see you succeed as badly as you want to succeed, those are the ones that are like, we are all over it. Versus other ones that have not felt as good, and we've turned them away because, for better or worse, like it just didn't feel like when it, when, when it got, you know, when it got hard, are they going to still want to support us? And I can say that about like pretty much all of our partners now. Like they want to help us, and we want to help them, and we all win together kind of mentality. To further grow the business, Pipsnacks continues to embrace new partnerships, including some unexpected ones, like the most recent collaboration with the iconic hot sauce brand Tabasco to create a line of spicy heirloom corn-based snacks that are hitting store shelves this month. Through this partnership, Martin says not only does Pipsnacks get to offer bold new flavor combinations, but also reach new consumers who may be fans of Tabasco but haven't yet heard of Pipcorn. He also stresses that a collaboration of this caliber wouldn't be possible without first cultivating a deep sense of trust and mutual respect between the brands. So um, this is something that uh, honestly is still a pinch me moment after a couple of months of working with the Tabasco team. So uh, we are launching this incredible partnership with Tabasco to launch a spicy cheddar cheese ball and a spicy cheddar popcorn using their Tabasco red sauce. So, um, you know, they're this incredible, you know, brand that's been around since 1868, right? A really long time. They've never changed their recipe. It's three ingredients. It's, you know, fermented. It's, it's this amazing sauce that people know globally, right? And we can take that and with their support and an, an extreme amount of support, like, craft these amazing snacks that pairs really well with the cheddar. Like, we're the experts on the extrusion, on cheese balls, on cheddar snacks, you know, cheese snacks. But we didn't know, like, they, we're so excited about this partnership because the marriage between the two really works so well. Talking to their team is like talking to, like, my siblings. Like, we, you know, their culture is incredible. I was talking to their CEO yesterday, and um, this came together very quickly. And generally, these things, any new product launch can take a year, two years, even three years wouldn't be, you know, wild. This came together in a handful of months. And for a brand that's been around since 1868, to move as fast as a brand that's been around for 10 years in the natural food space boggles my mind. Like, they, at times, they were moving faster than we could move. And that is, says something about their culture, their leadership, the team, 
you know, we, we think the world of Tabasco, so we are very excited to launch this partnership. I've been you know, using Tabasco sauce for as long as I can remember. Um, and for them to want to be excited, that excited about us putting their bottle, like an iconic design, bottle, shape, flavor, brand, on our packaging um, is incredible. So there's a certain level of trust we had to build really quickly. Like, we're going we're gonna to treat this with as much respect as our own brand, or if not more. The flavors we're going to highlight we're gonna we're gonna make Tabasco shine. All that stuff was really important to us, and and you know they they were again such a dream to work with. We're, we're very excited to start getting it out there because of the global kind of globally recognized brand that is Tabasco, and everything they've done with their red sauce. It's an iconic again like even the bottle itself is a super iconic shape and, and label. It has I don't think it's ever changed. Um, but you know we, we I would say we have a lot of overlapping customers. But we, they have a, a wide reach that we have not even scratched the surface. So having the ability to have the bottle on our bag, to have the support of Tabasco, um, and, and even like their sales and marketing teams helping us to, hey, I'm in a meeting with X, Y, and Z buyer. Maybe I can leave some samples for them to bring to the snack buyer. You know, things like that where, you know, th- th- we, we can really honestly like ride the coattails of a really amazing brand like Tabasco, um, but then just have it available to consumers in a completely different format. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that they will, without a doubt, help us get in front of people that we probably couldn't have gotten in front of or have a hard time getting in front of. Um, and then from a consumer perspective, I hope that consumers will see this and think like, oh, you know, I've known Tabasco forever, but here's a different way to enjoy the snack or to, you know, to, to, to enjoy the flavor and then be introduced to some of our other snacks as well. An essential component of each of these partnerships is trust, which Martin says is built on transparency which has become even more important in the past two years as the company and others in the supply chain as well as consumers all navigate the pressures of the supply chain first on the pandemic and now inflation. To maintain this trust as costs increase beyond what Pip Snacks could bear on its own, Martin says the company cultivated open lines of communication with suppliers and with consumers. This included sharing with fans when and why it needed to temporarily raise prices, which is a very different strategy than many others in the food industry that either opted to quietly reduce pack sizes but maintain prices to find financial relief or push through incremental increases without warning shoppers. Inflation's out of control. It's really difficult for any any brand. You have these major billion-dollar multinational brands raising prices, and it's different, you know. Like we put it up, we put it. So we did put in some price increases at the end of last year, um, because we had to. But what we didn't do was cover all of the increase that we were seeing. We didn't cover nearly all of that with a price increase. We did the bare minimum to kind of keep it going, right? But then we had to get scrappy on our side to make up the rest. What we never want to do is put a price increase in and and push it all to the customer. It's just not how we operate. It's not a, to me. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, to a lot of people, it's the only way, and it's, that's fine. But we thought, hey, let's let's do X amount, and let's find the rest behind the scenes with our own efforts. So that's calling our suppliers that we worked with for a long time and say, hey, if we purchase different volumes, what kind of discounts can we get? Not to push the burden on them, but to say, like, hey, we'll commit to X if we can maybe get a lower price. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Really tightening up. You know all of our logistics, all, all of our you know freight and, and our, our our transportation generally. Can we ship full trucks all the time instead of shipping some you know LTL less than truckload shipments? Um, you know it's a lot of like finding pennies, 
And then if you find enough pennies, you can save the customer from having to bear the brunt of all these, you know, our, 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 you know, I guess bear the brunt of all our costs going through the roof. So um, it's, we're not at the end of it. You know, we're getting price increases still from our suppliers on a weekly basis. We're seeing things increase. We have some contracts where, you know, usually in our industry, you can contract out, let's say, sea salt for a year. And you can commit, you know, you can get a price locked in for a year. We're working on like 30-day pricing now for some of our big suppliers, and it's that is like so literally we could order X ingredient today at one price, and then 31 days later we can order it for twice as what it is today, and we can't control that. So, um, you know, it's it's very challenging. Again, this is when it's really really important to have a good team, a good capital partner that can understand the dynamic. But we don't think it's our, – our path wasn't to just push it all to the customer. I mean, we're still trying on a daily basis, trying to find a way to find more pennies because that's how we think we can be successful. We don't want to be on shelf for twice what we were last year. We put in a little bit to sustain it, but we need to find the rest on our side. And that's how we kind of enjoy doing that – well, maybe not enjoy, but we're committed to doing the hard work so we don't continue continually put in price increases. Because, frankly, we're not a big – billion-dollar multinational brand, you know? We're 10 years in, but we're still very much a startup. So will our customer pay an extra dollar? Maybe, maybe not. We're not the same as a big brand where people need it in their cart, in their pantry, and they're willing to pay that price. You know, we, we want to we protect our customer base. We want to celebrate the people who have celebrated us for 10 years and not not really put all the price increase through to, so they can bear the burden. Currency is huge. Like, this is the reality. We're in an inflationary period. Our raw, our raw material costs are through the roof. We're, again, we're still getting price increases on a weekly basis on different ingredients. Um, but, you know, for us, it's like we have to lead with the reality. This is it. This is what we're dealing with. Here's what we are going to unfortunately have to do. But on the flip side, like, we're going to bring it back down the second that we can. We're not going to leave. You know, that's we're also committed to that. Consumers are the reason we're here. Like, our customers are the reason why 10 years later we're here at a trade show talking about 10 years because they support us on shelf every day. Um, and that is the most important thing to us. I know it's so cliche to say, you know, we love our customers, but it's like without them, we legitimately wouldn't be here. So to continue building that trust is always front of mind and really important to us. And, it's, and this price increase was not fun, but we'd rather lead with the truth than try to slip it in and hope that we don't get called out on Twitter or something. Hoping that the challenges the company and industry face today will ease as the economy and other macro geopolitical pressures also ease, Martin says he's eager to build Pip Snacks by launching innovative new products that further support biodiversity, including potentially beyond corn. It also wants to improve the sustainability of its packaging and production processes to ensure that a brighter future is available for everyone. But in the spirit of transparency, he says that he doesn't have all the answers and is eager to learn from other innovators in the space. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and will join me again next week for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week. 